it may be possible that there's nobody in America who can best distill down the essence of a problem better than Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Maybe it's because I love the draw. Maybe it's because I know every time he speaks, somebody is going to get insulted in the most glorious of ways. Maybe it's just because he makes me laugh and nobody else takes him seriously. I don't know. But is he wrong about the border? Wrong about the fact that we had members of the United States Senate at the border taking photos and they were told not to, to delete them, told they weren't treating people with humanity? Are we really thinking that our border policy is humane? And check out the moving of the goalposts, which is worthy of our attention because we are all getting steamrolled when it comes to the border and the conversation they're trying to have versus the reality. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz. The phone number, 833-468-8669. Got Tony. First, uh, let, let us chuckle. It is Senator John Kennedy at just his Senator John Kennedy best. I'm, uh, I'm sorry that they won't allow you to see what we saw. Uh, I'm not sure there are words in English to describe it. If you talk to the Border Patrol agents, those women and men will tell you that what President Biden is doing is bone deep down to the marrow stupid. How do you not love that man? Bone deep down to the marrow stupid. But he's bringing up a solid point. They want to go back to the border practices and the border security that existed on the day that President Biden was inaugurated. Now, President Biden and Vice President Harris need to come down here. I don't mean any disrespect, and I'm not trying to tell them how to do their jobs, but they need to come down here. Because it became clear to me uh, today that uh, there are either one or two things going on here. Either President Biden believes in open borders. You do, after all, have to watch what politicians do, not what they say. Or the people that President Biden has put in charge to make border security policy are not qualified to manage a food truck. He's just too great for words. But let's dig in a little bit on this policy and so we can see where there is a bait and switch happening, where there is a moving of the goalposts and an unwillingness to focus. And one of those places is, well, the the, the Trump policies were inhumane. What is inhumane about deterring people from coming to the border? Well, you'd have children coming across the border and you'd, you'd make them wait in squalor in Mexico. Let us stop and recognize that no one told children to come across the border. No one told anyone to come across the border. Let us not blame a policy that, well, 
did what it was supposed to do and recognize the sovereignty of the United States. And nowhere in this should we think that I'm somehow opposed to immigration. I have no opposition to immigration. I just favor legal immigration, and I'm willing to rework the system to make it work even better. But I do not favor illegal immigration. Illegal immigration should be zero, and anyone who has any space for it is somebody who should not be trusted. No one who favors breaking the law should be trusted, unless, of course, we're talking about not paying our taxes, in which case I'm totally fine. Oh, wait, you can't say that? You can't, you can't say? You, can, you can't not pay your taxes, but it's okay to enter the country illegally, and not only should there be no repercussions, you should be able to take money from those people who are forced to pay their taxes via the barrel of a gun. Let's be all sorts of happy about being a citizen, aren't we? Just super great. We got the deal. <sighs> so first things first. The policies that they claim are inhumane are not actually inhumane. The actions taken by others is indeed inhumane. Like, for example, bringing children across the border or bringing children and abandoning them at the border, uh, telling children to make it their, uh, go alone at the border. Those things are inhumane. You want to tell me that child separation policies are inhumane. Those policies could have been fixed by Congress years ago. They could be fixed by Congress today, and they are not fixed by Congress. Why is that? Why is it that these things are not fixed? Well, they must like what is happening because it allows them something to talk about. It's the difference between Palestinians as cause versus Palestinians as state. And it is clear that lots and lots of nations enjoyed the abuse of the Palestinians by their own hands, not Israel's. Not allowing them into other countries, forcing them to stay where they are, and utilizing them as pawns in their hate of Jews. Not caring what happens to them. Because as a cause, they were better at whipping up the frenzy than they are as a state where they might actually have to live the life and you'll have to prove that you're capable of actually managing that life. But none of these other Arab nations wanted to help the Palestinians. This, I mean, this is the way to look at it. So we have at the border right now a crisis. It is a crisis, and I understand that there are people out there who are saying, oh, no, it's not a crisis. The Associated Press, if you follow me on Instagram, at Tony Katz, you saw me post this. You saw me post that the Associated Press, an internal memo, memo, internal memo from the Standard Center, the current event in the news, a sharp increase in the arrival of unaccompanied minors, is a problem for border officials, a political challenge for Biden, and a dire situation for many migrants who make the journey. But it does not fit the classic dictionary definition of a crisis. That's the Associated Press aiding the Biden administration. Because they want to make a claim of what is and isn't the dictionary definition. Next thing you know, we'll be debating what the definition of is is. Man, that's a long reach and a lot of stretch right there. That's a lot of stretch to try and keep America from noticing the problem. But within that statement, they gave away the game. And where you need to be paying attention, what you need to be looking at in this conversation, 
The current event in the news, a sharp increase in the arrival of unaccompanied minors, is a problem for border officials. When they talk about the border, they'll say it's not a crisis. You have less uh, people coming across than you did under Trump. There are places that will show you that you have less adults coming across right now than you did under Donald Trump. But you have more families and you have more children. The children are abducted. The children are accosted. The children are kidnapped. Just so we all understand each other. Senator Ted Cruz speaking on Fox News to Maria Bartiromo. And the problem for Democrats, they start from a premise that the more illegal immigration we have, the better, because they believe if you let all the illegal immigrants in and then you make them all citizens, that they will eventually vote Democrat and keep Democrats in power. But they also don't understand incentives. So you hear Jen Psaki saying, well, we're just not going to keep kids, which is, of course, a lie because there's 16,000 kids in Biden cages right now. But they don't get the incentives that when they announce any child that comes can stay that we will see it's projected that over a hundred thousand unaccompanied minors will come in and i've got to say anyone that puts a little boy or little girl in the custody of a human trafficker you know maria 11 12 13 year old girls are put on birth control pills before they come up because the odds are so high they'll get raped that is not compassionate when the biden administration has all these kids in the custody of traffickers The issue is children at the border. They are being kidnapped. They are being abducted. And that increase is solely and exclusively due to Joe Biden, his policies, and his pronouncements. You can talk about Secretary Mayorkas saying that the border is closed. It is not closed. Now, it's not completely open. Of course, Border Patrol is doing their job, but these children are the issue. That's why 3,000 of them are in Dallas in terms of teenagers. That's why they're opening up places in San Diego. There's no place to put these kids, and they are still coming. So when people try to make the claim there are less people coming across the border, they mean adults. It is the children that is the conversation. And so you have to know how to deal with their rank manipulation. Now, the question before us should be, why in the bloody heck are they manipulating this thing? What's the win in it for them? They cannot handle the fact that they may need to do things like Donald Trump did. They cannot handle the fact that how quickly their fantasy and the ideas they came up with in the faculty lounge don't actually work in the real world. Wait till they learn that people are taught to lie at the border. Groups in the United States states that teach illegal immigrants how to lie, to make a claim for asylum. And by the way, that's what we're talking about here. These people, they're looking for asylum. No, they're not. They're migrants looking for a job. And I am not blaming them. But that does not give you entree to the United States. Asylum seekers, actual refugees, cannot go home for fear of death. It is different. And we have people on the border who teach illegal immigrants, who teach these people, 
they become illegal immigrants, I should say, teach them how to lie. Teach them what to say in order to be able to gain entry and then have that court hearing that they don't actually have to sign up for or it doesn't matter if they show up. Now, lots of people do show up, but it won't actually matter if you show up. You can't, if you have people teaching others how to lie to hurt the United States, you got to start arresting people or you got to shut it all down. So not only does the Biden administration have the culpability for children being brought to the border and abused along the way. These groups that teach people how to lie to border agents so they can make claim of asylum, they're the ones endangering children as well. And man, we're just just scratching the surface on this mother. Just scratching the surface. But it's really important to know how it is things are getting played. Right, really important to know how it is that America is ta- being taken for this bit of a ride by media and others that refuse to focus. Man, what we're going to do, we're going to make sure we're in all our lanes and covering every bit of it. Because the only way to fight this horror show, it's a crisis at the border no matter what the Associated Press says. And next time you read a story in the Associated Press, double check it. I'm Tony Katz. So the trial of former officer Derek Chauvin starting today and the family lawyer for George Floyd, Benjamin Crump, grabbing every microphone he can. So this murder case is not hard when you watch that torture video of George Floyd. Y'all understand? This murder case is not hard. When you watch that torture video of George Floyd, and we have to call it what it is, it was torture. Even under the Geneva Convention definition, this was torture. And Derek Chauvin should be held criminally liable for the death of George Floyd. Now, I saw on on Twitter, so... Grain of salt. I I saw on on, on social media um, that the Chauvin team, Chauvin team, Chauvin team, is making the the argument that he could have been paying more attention to George Floyd if the crowd surrounding him wasn't so loud. I got to double check that one. Making the argument... That, you know, uh, maybe things would have gone this way if people weren't surrounding us and yelling at us and screaming things like, get off his neck. Ah, that's everyone's entitled to a defense. But holy cow, that's just that's just very that that's a rough one. I'm sorry. That's a a rough one. Uh, They're looking at massive flooding right now in Nashville. The state of emergency has been uh, declared there in uh, the city. Executive order signed by the mayor, uh, John Cooper. And who we now? I don't know about where you live, um, but where I live outside of Indianapolis on Saturday night. 
It's coming home. It's Passover, right? So happy Passover, everybody. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, the Jews and getting out of Egypt and, you know, it's Moses. It's, it's a great story. And it's all about, you know, not being uh, in, in, enslaved. And in order to do that, uh, God sends the plagues. Sends the plagues on the Pharaoh. One of those plagues, hail. Driving home from the, the dinner that, that I was at with the family in the minivan. I am that guy. And the hail starts. Had to pull under an overpass for about 15 minutes. It was insane. And clearly nothing like we saw some other people have to deal with uh, across the country. I mean, it's crazy. The flash flooding that took place in Nashville, cars got half, three quarters submerged, people lost their houses. And of course, because it happened in the Midwest, you will not hear about this anywhere. There'll be one little article and then it'll all be gone. It's like when a derecho hits, uh, you know, Nebraska and Iowa. No, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry, someone got a quarter inch of snow in New York and they had to close schools for a month and a half. These coastal people, well, if only focusing on their coastal things. By the way, they found four bodies after the flooding over the weekend in, in Nashville. Like it was, it, it was that bad, that awful. Whole high school athletic facilities submerged. I mean, just everywhere. And they're making the point of saying, look, 2010, we had worse flooding. Okay. This still looks pretty bad. If I find some good places uh, where uh, they're taking uh, relief funding, I'll, I'll be sure to share it. I never do it at the quick. I like to see. Make sure I know who to trust. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. This right here is Tony Katz Today. Nike selling out of the blood shoes. Except wait, it's not Nike. Tony Katz, Tony Katz Today. Did he just say blood shoes? Yes, I did. Let me tell the story. There is a a singer, a rapper, a personality named Lil Nas X. Lil, L-I-L, Nas, N-A-S-X. X. He's the guy who's going to take his horse down to the Old Town Road. <laughs> That's right. Good. That's who he is. And then he put out this song, and then people are like, wait, is this a country song? No, it's not a country song. And then Billy Ray Cyrus said, I'm going to sing with him. It's a country song. And then it spent weeks and months on the top of the charts, and then people made videos about it. And it was like, oh, okay. All right. That's what's going on the Old Town Road. So he teams up with this group called Mischief, M-S-C-H-F, Mischief, and they design a shoe. The shoe is a, is a Nike. The Nike shoe is based on, a, I think, on a design from 1997, and they take the shoe and they decorate it all up. The shoe is, um, well, it's, it's, it's the Satan shoe. They're $1,018, limited to 666 pairs, and every pair contains real human blood. I, 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 I swear to you, I swear to you, this is not some kind of weird sex thing like Invixium. 
whatever they're called. This this happened. This is his shoe. It's got uh, um, 60 cc ink and one drop of human blood, according <laughs> to the uh, streetwear culture news site Saint. I like how you preface preface the type of ink before the human That's blood. I, I, I give the whole story here. <laughs> I just I, I love it. By the way, you got to understand how big shoes are in culture, how big sneakers are in culture. This is just massive. This is huge. You have no idea the money that gets spent and and the collections that go on. It's nuts. It's incredible. And don't ever discount it, right? If people could collect Hummels and people could collect, like, Flair from from, uh, uh, Disney or the Hard Rock Cafe or one of these other places, right? I've seen that. I was a part of that. Well, I used to actually work there. Did that to keep myself from going crazy. Uh, oh, one day I should tell you the story of that. People collect all sorts of things, and sneakers are, are a big deal. They are a big, big, big deal. So I can get that somebody puts out a special sneaker, people are going to buy it. Uh, with a drop of human blood and you call Satan shoes? Okay, this is trying too hard. This is trying too hard. So they put this out there. Immediately, there's a response from Nike. And Nike is like, you just woe up at the Old Town Road and the horse and the whatnot. Uh, Those are not our sneakers. Turns out Mischief bought the pairs and then decorated the sneakers. So these are not a Nike-sanctioned sneaker. But rather, they are indeed Nike sneakers that have had these aftermarket modifications made to them. Does that make sense? That is what happened here. Now, you say to me, okay, Tony, I get that people are into sneakers. I get that there's a whole uh, counterculture, there's a whole subculture, there's a whole culture I don't even know anything about because I'm too old or whatever the case may be. Who, who, who's spending $1,018 on a pair of sneakers? Hey, Ari, how many sneakers are left? They sold out. None. They sold out the sneakers in less than one day. If you were giving away free keychains on a street corner, you wouldn't have given out 666 keychains by the time you're hearing this. They sold out of Satan's shoes with real blood in three hours. What can I say? So, so I, of course, uh, I, I, I see an opportunity. I got to take the, I got to take the opportunity. Uh, I'm, I am going to be uh, selling bourbon shoes. We're going to, we're going to come up with our own line of either shoes or sneakers that are hand dipped in bourbon. And a drop of your blood? No, none of my blood. Oh. Just the bourbon. Okay. Just the bourbon. And that, and that's going to uh, create unique patterns on, on the, on the shoes. So you have a one of a kind. That's actually a really good idea. Right? So in in my town, uh, there there is a guy who makes shoes. His name is it, it's Centos. C-E-N-T-O-S. It's like this little shop in downtown Indianapolis. Been there for a bajillion years. And 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 he like fixes shoes. So I want to figure out how to do this. Why not? By the way, the sacrilege. Of of wasting bourbon on shoes? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear it. I'm gonna hear it more than the blood thing. I guess I didn't think about that. That would be, have to be an expensive shoe. Oh, you know what? A thousand and eighteen dollars. What am I saying? Of course.
$1,018 is, is what we're going to charge for him. Now, uh, producer Ari didn't understand something. What? And, and, and it could be, you know, just an age thing. He's like, why is the blood thing such a big deal? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother right? me. Right? If somebody wants to donate their blood and, you know, put it in there, that, uh, uh, let them. And, and, and the big deal is, is that uh, culturally, it's, it's first the idea that you would use the human body or parts of the human body or instruments of the human body in, in a retail kind of way is pretty ugly. Secondly, you can argue uh, that, that, that it's art. You just can't argue it well. The part that bothers me is that you want to, that you called them Satan shoes. It, this must be a generational thing where these things come up over and over again because this whole thing is played out like a mother. Right? The people who push the Satan stuff, they're, they're, are they pushing evil? Are they pushing, we're not, we're not here, you're bound by your rules and look how wild and crazy we are. Look how, look how, you know, drama I can be or look how uh, shocking I can be. Baby, we, we, we've seen it all. There, there is nothing left to shock us with, but it must be that generationally, there's always something that could shock, right? There's always one more way for someone to be like, holy crap, did you see that? It's, it's just, it's, it, it, it is humanity demoralizing to do something like this. That's all. That, it, it, it is what it is. So I look. I had no problem with Lil Nas X. I, I uh, had no problem uh, with with the music. I may not like it all, but what does it matter? You go out there and you do your thing. This this is just uh, this is just nuts. Somebody wants me to do rye high tops, <laughs> dude. This is a good idea, right? Do me a favor, producer. All right, let's see if Bourbon Shoes is taken. If not, I'll go get it right now. All right, I'm looking. We'll get some bourbon shoes. Oh wait, did someone already take it? Do I did I find a business partner already? Uh bourbon street shoes. What wait, what is that? Uh I assume they're shoes made on Bourbon Street. Oh, okay. Oh that so that exists. That all right. We'll we're gonna take care of getting a, a domain. We're gonna have a business set up before the show is over. I'm Tony Katz. As we have often discussed, it is one thing to say there are things in society you shouldn't say. It's another thing to tell people there are things they cannot say or must say. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. William Jacobson joins us now from LegalInsurrection.com. Be sure to check out the site. The story of a professor, uh, his name is Dr. Nicholas Merriweather, Shawnee State University, who was told by a student he has to use certain pronouns for this student. The professor didn't, got sued, and now this case is moving forward, but in favor of the professor. William Jacobson, Cornell Law professor, joins us right now. Talk to me about how this case began and what happened in this latest decision. Right. This is a professor. Uh, first of all, it's at a public university, so subject to First Amendment, uh, and he was a Referred to a student in class 
with the male pronoun. And after the class, the student came up to him and said, that's I identify as a woman or I'm transgender or whatever it is. And you have to call me by my female pronoun. And the professor kind of hesitated. Okay, he uh, says that he's a religious Christian and he doesn't really accept transgender as if as a as a um, thing, so to speak. Um, not that he's going to discriminate against anybody, but he doesn't feel that he can call someone who presents as a male by a female pronoun. Um, and there's the student basically threatens him, says, I'm going to complain about you. And then it's a little bit of a tortured history. There's some back and forth with the administration. Long story short, at the end of that tortured history, after the student complained another time, many months later, uh, the school basically says you either call the student by his or her preferred pronoun, or you're out. And so the professor sued and uh, lost in the district court. And the Court of Appeals uh, in the Sixth Circuit just ruled that he did have a viable First Amendment claim that he cannot be compelled to assert an idea or an ideology that he does not agree with and that the case can go forward. So he didn't win the case ultimately. I mean, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but he was given the green light to pursue his case. His that he had to be court. given, sir, the green light to defend himself is what stuns people. And this student who called uh, the professor all sorts of names, including names I'm not allowed to say on radio, uh, threatened to or promised to get this professor Merriweather fired if he didn't agree to the student's demands. This is a... a conversation of the illiberalism of this this movement that doesn't say hey this is how i want to live my life it says you must uh accept not only how i live you must change how you live because i changed how i live right it's somewhat similar to the uh case of the the bakery masterpiece bakery where somebody wanted the baker and they went to him knowing it would be a problem knowing that it would lead to a lawsuit. I mean, it wasn't a legitimate request in that respect. And said, you have to put a message on this cake affirming and celebrating our same-sex marriage. And he said, I am religious. I can't do that. I'll sell you the cake. You can write on it what you want. I don't discriminate. I'll sell a cake to anybody. But you're now asking me to put a message on there that I do not agree with. And uh, Supreme Court, it was a little convoluted, but ultimately – uh, vindicated the baker. And, and that's similar to what's happening here. I saw a really good tweet by a professor at Princeton the other day, Robbie George, and he said, the difference between authoritarianism and totalitarianism. In an authoritarian society, they prevent you from uh, saying what you believe. In a totalitarian society, they force you to say things you don't believe. And that's what these cases are about. It's not can the government force somebody to say something they do not believe. And that is really the, the issue with the preferred pronouns, at least at a public university. That's the issue with the cake. Uh, can you force somebody to say something they don't believe? And so and I, that's one of the reasons the Sixth Circuit reinstated the case. And that's you know, I think that it, that is really the cusp of what we're on. It's no longer 
old-fashioned, and I know you've been following this for a long time, Tony, you know, political correctness, that you can't say what you really think. Now we're at the next level where they are forcing people to say things they do not, do not believe. I and that take is this really a problem. I take this, sir, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, and the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I take this and I, it's so much, I, I think, of critical race training, critical race theory, what's going on with, with anti-racism, that not only is it not enough not to be racist, you have to be anti-racist and you have to do this by showing these characteristics, by voicing these statements, by making these decisions. It's, to me, very much the, the, the same concept. And all of this, as I, I note, highly illiberal, but it really takes a look at the idea of free people and free minds and says, yeah, we're not so into that. Exactly. And I think that that is, you know, the liberalism is that, you know, you you must wear the ribbon. If you remember that old Seinfeld episode, uh, you must wear the ribbon. It's not enough to tolerate other people, not enough to leave them alone. It's not enough to treat them with respect. You have to now affirmatively adopt an ideological uh, position that you do not agree with. And that is where we are in our society. What used to be a joke on Seinfeld, however many years it was, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, you know, about forcing someone to bear to wear the ribbon for an AIDS march uh, is now our entire society. It's in corporations, it's in the government. And it's in universities, which is really where it started was in the universities. And that's how dangerous a situation we are in now, where you are forced to mouth the words that you do not believe. His name is William Jacobson, the site, legalinsurrection.com. While I still have a minute with you, right, because you're on a college campus, you're, you're seeing these things play out. We're watching critical race theory play out uh, at, uh, at the schools where, where my kids go and where, where, where friends go. And we're also seeing a large amount of pushback all of a sudden from people of all different political stripes. Uh, is it your take that the pushback can actually do something to stop this madness? It can do something. It's not going to stop it. It's going to, I think, pushback probably needs, the only pushback that's going to be effective is pushback from the people who control the, control the flow of money to public universities or to universities that take public money, which uh, government frequently sets standards that have to be applied. For example, any company or university or anyone else taking federal money has to certify that they are in compliance with anti-discrimination laws. Uh, arguably, a lot of these things that are going on are in violation of anti-discrimination laws. So uh, I think it's that's where there can be some effective pushback. But at university level, this has become a religion. This has become their reason for being. There is an enormous, enormous bureaucracy at almost every university devoted to pushing this. There's enormous money flowing to universities from private donors, from billionaires to established centers and all sorts of other things. So I think there can be an effectiveness. I think lawsuits are part of it. But I also think political pressure to enforce the same rules we've always played by, that if you're going to subject people to so-called white privilege shaming, that that arguably violates the anti-discrimination laws. And William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com. I've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz.